Well, good morning, everyone. You have a three by five card on your chair. P pick that up if you would for a minute. You're going to need that in a few minutes as we begin this series on wisdom. A little bit of wisdom. How many of you know you need it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of wisdom on a whole bunch of different categories. Uh, and I just want to begin by talking about a team that I have conflicted feelings with regard to <laughs> because last year they dumped me and uh, moved away. But, uh, but I'm still a big Philip Rivers fan, although if you notice the number of my jersey, God's number, and the name on the back of my jersey, I just thought I'd say, you're my team. Anyway, but I am a big fan of Philip Rivers. And now uh, Anthony Lynn, the coach that they, they got, uh, I think, two years ago, he's really an amazing guy. By the way, Anthony Lynn uh, gave the keynote address at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes gathering last year, uh, so apparently a believer, so that's pretty awesome. And, but Philip Rivers, and the way uh, wisdom is happening right now in terms of not just Philip and Coach Lynn, but a lot of this is now pervading the NFL in the way in which they're prepping in preseason. I don't know if you're that big of a football <coughs> nerd, whatever. <laughs> but, but there's been a shift take place. Like Philip hardly played anything in preseason. Now he's old. How old's Philip Rivers? No, I think he's 37. I'm almost positive he's 37. How many of you are older than 37? So that's, I'm just saying, just so you're aware. <laughs> but anyway, he's older and he's, they're concerned and there's this now wisdom happening because just a few years ago, it doesn't matter, they would play those guys all through the preseason, but there's this shift taking place to, because the goal is that they not only win a game, but win the season. And so the goal is that they stay healthy all the way through the season and that they peak at the right time. That's always the issue in, in pro sports of any kind, and it's true spiritually. You know, that you're, you're kind of managing yourself in such a fashion that you, you have success as you go along in your life. And, and, and it's also about practice. Uh, Coach Lynn said this about Philip uh, Rivers. He said, when you talk about his reps, meaning, by the way, I'll uh, give you another help. Rep is when you, you know, you, you throw the ball and you take a play, okay? Make a play. Again, for those of you a little bit challenged in this regard, he's, a, he's always been, <laughs> just saying, just thought I'd help you out. He's always been one of the hardest working guys on the team. When he's out there, he works hard. That's what makes him one of the best, his preparation. And when he fails, he gets back up, dusts himself on, off, and goes on. And, and that's what this, this particular weekend, the whole series is a bit about this, but it's how do we experience, the whole book of Proverbs actually is written with this idea in mind, the opening chapter, which we'll all start on Monday. The opening chapter of Proverbs, which sets the table for the entire uh, book of Proverbs, and once more, how many chapters are there in Proverbs? 31, that's right. So it's how we experience success but here's the kicker, you guys. Here's the most important part. How do we experience success in God's eyes? Because many of you will and are experiencing incredible success in an innumerable ways. But it's how we do it from God's vantage point. Because success without God is no success at all. And let me just say something else to you guys. Because a lot of you have uh, fathers that were challenged in terms of you and his relationship with you. <coughs> uh, and I was challenged in my relationship with my dad. Uh, 
let me just say to you, your heavenly dad wants to bless you. It is in his heart to bless you. He desires for you. He wants you to walk in incredible success. We often quote Jeremiah 29, 11. If you're unfamiliar with that verse, you should write it down. Jeremiah 29, 11. He, it's the heart of God to bless you. Uh, now, the card. Uh, I created a list. This is not an exhaustive list. I just created it. I actually created it on my own. Now, I brought it to the sermon team, and, and now they're all using it. But uh, these are categories of your life. It's not exhaustive. You may think of a category that I don't have up here. But I tried to do it fairly thoroughly. But I want you to pick one or two or, or three if you want. I don't care. But I want you to pick some, and I want you to write them down on your white card. The ones that you want to focus on today, and maybe even this coming week or this coming few weeks, about uh, the area of your life where you want to see success. Like, it may be relational. Maybe you're having trouble with, a, a, you know, kids, like, growing up, or maybe you're, you have adult kids and you are struggling with your adult children and you want to experience success relationally. Could be academically, maybe you're a student. Uh, in fact, are there any students? You're going to college or high school in the room? Raise your hands up so there's several around the room. So you want success there. You pick it. You pick it. You want to be more of an impact and have see more success uh, in your community, on your street, um, vocationally, um, financially, you want to have more success financially. Uh, and that'll, that issue there will kill you, if you're, and you'll see it in Proverbs. Uh, blessing financially without God will ruin your soul. But with God, it's awesome. You'll be an incredible steward. Um, retirement. One of the most dangerous times in your life will be retirement. We experience this a bit uniquely in a new break context because we have so many of you military in the house who we are super stoked that you're here. We love our military. But you are different in the sense that you can actually retire. If you go in at 17, you can retire at 37. Very, very unusual. But, and that is a very, those are very deep waters for you. Uh, certainly it is true of all people who retire. Those of you who are kind of like in a normal world where you retire, you know, at the end of your life type of thing, at, at, like my age, basically. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out, but whatever. Like retirement can be a place where you lose your way because you lose your purpose in life. And this is why I encourage you guys to be involved in ministry, in church, and see your world from a worldview of ministry because it will really help you navigate your life uh, somebody came up to me in the last service who retired. She was an educator for many, many years, going through depression and realized in the sermon, because of these things I was saying about retirement, that that was her jam. And she just started leading a, a precepts Bible study. It's really helping her. And I told her, your depression will tend to go away as you get more into purpose. Remember, 90% of depression is always related to loss. So whenever you're sad for a protracted period of time, you need to pray about and ask yourself, what did I lose? Okay? And that'll help you into the issues behind the depression, which is normal in life. Anyway, all, all of these, okay? So write them down. We're going to do an exercise at the end with regard to this. And, and once more, this, this weekend particularly is kind of setting us up for success. How are we going to set our table? Go with me to the Bible in uh, 1 Kings. We're going to be in two passages. They are, if you will, parallel passages. Uh, like... How many of you know there are two Gospels named Matthew and Luke? Raise your hand if you know there's two Gospels named Matthew and Luke. Both recording things in Jesus' life from different vantage points 
inspired by God to show, you know, talk about Jesus, okay? First, second Kings, first and second Chronicles are kind of like Matthew and Luke, written in different times by different authors, looking at similar things. The chronicler who writes first and second Chronicles, the chronicler approaches it differently. He's actually writing in the time frame that's far forward from where we are in 1 Kings 2. In 1 Kings 2, we are in the scene where David, the king who rules for 40 years, is about to die. And these are the last words of David to his son Solomon. And most believe, people believe that kings, the kings, First, uh, Second Kings, are written sort of in real time, okay, as it's happening. The chronicler writes from a posture many years forward. Because Solomon, I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag a bit for the series. Solomon starts out wonderfully and crashes and burns big time. And it's because he doesn't ultimately live out what David's going to charge him with. The chronicler, when he writes, he's writing in post-exile. So fast forward from here, what happens is Solomon does his rule. His, he doesn't do a good job. He ends poorly. His kids ruin everything. The kingdom of Israel splits into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Fast forward from there, ultimately because the northern kingdom that never had a godly king, they run away from God. God brings the Assyrians to discipline the, the Israelites in the north. This happens in uh, 722 BC. The Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. Fast forward, the southern kingdom only has two godly kings, Hezekiah and Josiah. Only two kings in their entire period of, of reign, if you will, in the southern kingdom of Judah. And then God raises up the Babylonians to discipline the Israelites in the south. This begins the period of the exile. How long are the Israelites in exile? 70 years. 70 years. This is the period from which the book of Daniel. How many of you have ever heard of the book of Daniel? Okay, this is where Daniel comes from. Remember, he's a teenage boy, gets captured in exile. So all of this happens for 70 years. The chronicler writes, it, it probably, they think, probably in the post-exile era. And he's writing because it's like everybody's life is train smashed, kind of like ours. So the chronicler's writing to say, don't forget the promises of God. Even though your life is crazy and messy, don't forget the promises of God. The promises of God are forever. Now look at the promises. Look at your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. David's dying words. I want to think, I want you to think, it's hard for you to, a lot of you to think about your dying words. Because you're young. And, you know, you, th you don't even think about dying. I would encourage you not to be morose about it, <laughs> but I would encourage you to think about, remember, y you're writing the things that will be said at your memorial service every day of your life. You're writing your legacy every day of your life. What will be said about you when you're in heaven? By your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your friends, your dying words, if you have your mind about you, and you know, I, I hate the disease of dementia and Alzheimer's. Just, I hate that disease. My mother-in-law is struggling with this now. But 
you know, if we are in our right minds, our dying words can be amazing. These are David's dying words. He's 70. In this scene, from the king's perspective, likely Bathsheba's in the room, and her son, Solomon, is in the room. So if you know anything about biblical history, if you've been here any length of time, you now know a lot about the story of David. David was a mess, capital M-E-S-S. Solomon is there receiving the words. He is the son of Bathsheba and David's affair. And I love the fact that David is in the Bible. I get great comfort from David being in the Bible. And remember the preponderant idea, the majority idea of David's life, though it was super messy, just like yours, is that he always kept coming back to God. And so biblical history records him as a man after God's own what? Heart, which is a beautiful statement of grace. But he's conflicted, right? So he's got to give this charge to his son. And Solomon knows the story. So here's his charge. Look at it. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of the, all the earth. That's an old ancient way of saying I'm about to die. And so look, look what he says. Solomon, Solomon, be strong. Show yourself to be a man. Some of your translations say a person or something because they're trying to be sensitive. Of course, if you're a woman, show yourself to be a woman of God. If you're a man of God, show yourself to be a man of God. Be strong and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses. Now, for you guys, that, that's part of it. The Pentateuch is part of it. The first five books of the Bible is part of it. But we live in a New Testament era, so the whole Bible is the word of God to you and I, okay? Just saying, just so you're clear. And why? Why does he want you to be obedient? What's it say? So that you may what? Prosper. So that you may prosper in some of the things you do. What's your Bible say? No, in everything. All the things that were on the screen. He wants you to prosper. He is for you, not against you. And he wants to bless you for you, of course, because he loves you. You're his kid. So he wants to bless you personally. But he wants, you to, be, he wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. Okay? And then he sa it says, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And notice the journey language, by the way. Anyway, and it says, that the Lord may keep his promise to me, meaning David. And then there's the ifs. If your kids and your grandkids, if your and your cousins and your nephews... All, and think of it spiritually, like in a church context, the kids you pour your life into in church, you know, the students, the kids' ministry, whatever. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. He's saying this to Solomon. So what is it that God's talking about? What is it that David's talking about? He's talking about priorities. Now, I know your outline says put God first. Right next to it, priorities. It's about priorities. If your descendants watch, if they watch how they live, if they keep their priorities straight, and it's with all their heart and soul. It's with all their heart and soul. It's about priorities, though, you guys. Like God's formula for success, we took time to craft this as best we could. It's contingent. 
It's contingent. If I follow wholeheartedly, then, if then, and this is super important. Do you guys have this on your outline? Circle the word God, gods. My problem is that I want Mike's ideas of success. Your problem is you want Bill's ideas of success, Sally's ideas of success. You have to have God's success in all that you do. You have to keep it right. If then, God's success. Jesus put this this way. Seek first his kingdom. The problem is you want your kingdom. (laughs) This is the conflict. Therein lies the rub. You want your kingdom. It'll never make you happy, ever. Yet we try all the time. And this is your conflict. We want life according to ourselves. Seek first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. His ways. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you worry about. You can read it in context of Matthew 6. All the things that you worry about. All the things that you want in your life will be given to you as well. Well, does that mean that I get everything I want? Whose kingdom is it? Whose kingdom is it? God. Don't get it confused. It's got to be God's kingdom. It's got to be his values. So how do we put God first? How is it that we put God first? Now go to the parallel account in Chronicles. Remember, we're fast-forwarding a couple of hundred years to the time of Chronicles. It's written in retrospect, trying to keep the people who are post-exilic keeping it straight in their minds. One of the things that's going to happen with Solomon is he's going to have to change the entire spiritual and religious fabric of the Israelites. Until Solomon uh, worship and sacrifice, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, was permitted, it was allowed, it, it happened on all of the high places. Like high places were perceived as um, extra spiritual because they're closer to God. Do you get it? Ancient world. Are you with me? You get it? So ancient world. You know, higher places are close to the heavens, okay? And so on high places, all of the world religions would sacrifice. Now, in Israel, they would sacrifice the animals, of course, according to the law of God revealed on the Mount Sinai. Uh, But in the world of of all the other religions, they would sacrifice their babies, their children, for example. And this happened after Solomon's life. There were kings that actually sacrificed their own children on high places. They they followed the ways of the Baals and the gods uh, Moloch and so forth, the Ashtoreth poles. So from, but Solomon's going to shift gears spiritually, and it's on his watch. He's going to have to change the entire religious fabric of the Israelites. He is going to build the temple. Where is he going to build it? What city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That wasn't a trick question. (laughs) I'm not trying to, like, trick you guys, okay? I'm just trying to pull out of you what you know, (laughs) okay? Yes, he builds it in Jerusalem, okay? And he builds amazing temple. But from then on, Sacrifice, worship was never to take place outside of the temple context. And he fully installs what was in the heart of God. He fully installs the Levitical priesthood now. In other words, he's going to have to change the entire religious fabric of the Israelites. And change agentry in church can be very interesting. Like if I change the chairs, you can get mad at me. Where's my row, Pastor Mike? I always sit there. Well, why did you take those chairs away? What, what, huh? I change a wall. I change where a cross is. 
I changed whatever. We're very funny. I have a book in my library called Great Church Bites. And it's over, it's all about change agentry in church. Like, what if I blew the lid off of this place and made our ceiling way higher? I know, that would probably be a positive thing. <laughs> but in the meantime, where would we meet? What if we rented Sarah for six months? How would you like that? <laughs> Says Marcus. Those guys are on the Sarah camp. How did we do Friday on the football game? We did it! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Anyway, whatever. Like, Solomon's going to have to change everything. The people are going to have all kinds of fusses and fits over it. So look at the charge here. It's a little bit different. It's nuanced a little bit different. Look at it. Uh, verses 9 and 10. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, notice, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. That's a kind of interesting idea. That should bother us a little bit. And then he's got two ifs. If you seek him, he will be found by you, Solomon. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Now, just a second. Keep your finger right there. Does that mean if I forsake God, he's going to reject me forever? This is an, a, a kind of penultimate statement. This is a statement that's a sort of summary statement of your life. This is a statement about eternity in hell or heaven. This is about the end of everything. This is about when you die. How many of you know you will die? Just checking. <laughs> Keep it straight. So yes, at the end of life, if you have forsaken him, and that's, where, that's how you die, he is a gentleman. He will, not, he will not make you love him. He won't. He won't compromise you. He made you free. So it's a bothersome. I'm not going to back away from it. It's in the Bible. I have it underlined. You should have it in your head. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. So how do we put God first? And remember, Solomon's chief charge in life is he's going to build the temple. Now follow the biblical logic. Solomon's chief charge is he's going to build the temple where worship is going to take place, spiritual community is going to happen, and out of that they're going to change the world. Our vision statement is developing Christ-centered leaders who change their world. Solomon's charge and the Israelites' charge under his leadership was to build the temple and build out the priesthood so that the world changes. Our charge, Jesus said, I come to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Yours and my charge is to build the church and the priests, all of whom now in a biblical New Testament world, we are all called the priests of God, uh, that is who you are called. And our whole goal is to build spiritual community to change our world. So you and I and Solomon are all doing the same thing, right? You get it? Do you find, follow the biblical logic? This is what you're actually doing in the world. This is what you're actually doing on the earth. <laughs> so what does it mean to put God first? It means to acknowledge God, serve him with devotion, and develop a willing mind. I mean, this is a cliff note approach to it, but this is what it means. 
How can you tell if you're acknowledging God? Two ways primarily. Your checkbook and your calendar. Write them down. Your checkbook and your calendar. I can look at your checkbook and I can look at your calendar and I can tell you how much you're acknowledging God. You tell me what you're spending your money on, I'll tell you how godly you're being. You tell me how you're spending your time, I'll tell you how godly you're being. And it's just the way it is. It's stewardship, no doubt about it. Now, I was asked last night, because I did this last night, I was asked by two different people to explain what a checkbook is. Uh, <laughs> a checkbook is kind of like your Venmo account. It's, it's basically how old people use, uh, like in our day, when we were growing up, we had like literal paper checks, and we would write on them. And, and pay things this way. Like we would pay our tithes this way, we'd pay kingdom builders this way, whatever. I mean, I haven't written a check in forever, so, and I get it, but, but how you steward the things that God has given to you and trusted to you, that tells you how much you're acknowledging God and your calendar big time, especially you retired guys. Like if, if you're retired and you're just spending all of your time like doing golf and surfing, those things are awesome. I love golf. I love surfing. I'm just saying, if that is the goal point of you in retirement, you're going to go through so much purposelessness, you're going to drift and you're going to backslide. You're going to crash and burn spiritually. You're going to get depressed and you're going to die a younger death, by the way. I could get every doctor in Newbreak up here on the platform and they would talk to you about purposelessness and health. And every single one of them would talk to you about how this is going to give you heart disease, you're going to die younger. They'll quote all the stats to you. So I, I'm just saying, you guys have to keep it straight in your minds. And serving him, you have to all, that's why I want you in a serving stream in New Break, so you can practice and learn how to serve. And if you're not in a serving ministry yet, go to next step. How long have you been here without serving in a ministry stream? You're going to kill yourself spiritually. And by the way, with devotion, uh, when I say Raider Nation, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it. I'm just saying, the Raider Nation, they are devoted. When uh, Raiders move to Vegas, they don't care. They're flying. They are in it to win it. Raiders, Raider fans, how many of you are Raider fans? Go ahead. Nobody wants to admit it now. <laughs> I know Burley's a Raider fan. Yeah, it, that's great. I'm just saying, like, that kind of passion is how you should see your ministry and what you're doing, the difference you're making. This is what David's saying to Solomon. Solomon, you have to serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you have to have a willing mind. Solomon, you're young. He, by the way, Sol David's 70. Solomon's arguably in his early 20s. So, so he's young, right? He's saying, Solomon, you can never quit learning. You must be a lifelong learner. And I just would ask you guys, what book are you reading? What books are you reading? About spirituality, by the way. Like, what are you reading? What are you listening to in terms of podcasts? What are you listening to in terms of blogs? Whatever. You have to develop these things. And what evidence is there in your life that you're actually doing this? That, that, you're, that people see your priorities? Like, if I could just brag on my hero, who is my wife. Okay, this is a picture of Dylan, my three-year-old granddaughter, the day she, my wife flew, which was Thursday, to Austin to watch two twin three-year-olds and a four-year-old for 12 days. 
What's wrong with Dylan? She's got pink eye. Every parent knows what that is. She's got pink eye. And guess who got it the next day? Wesley. No, not Nani. Wesley got it. And, and so she flew there. And I've used this story like several, many times in the last three weeks to talk to people about faith because I tell them about Nani. And, they, you know, like, so Ryan and Melanie, where did they go? They flew to two islands off of Spain where they're going to spend, you know, several days laughing in luxury. Then they're flying to Italy, some island off Italy, and they have these very wealthy friends they're meeting there. Wealthy dude rented a yacht. The yacht's going to come pick them up for a day. They're going to cruise around Italy, and, you know, there's a cook, a chef, there's a full bar. There's everything on the yachts. They're just whatever. Nani's going to watch the three. So today, like right now, literally, not only those three, but Abby and Riley are also there. So she's got five kids in this house. She is a woman of God. (laughs) I said, yeah, give her a hand. She may be listening online. Uh, I said, I have to work, honey. Anyway, okay, (laughs) priorities, priorities, priorities. Then obedience, obedience. You must embrace obedience. It's about the obedience. It's the greatest path. It's the quickest path. Learn to walk in obedience. When the Bible says it, you believe it. You, You walk in it. You get it. And that's what, you know, David's saying. He's dying. He's 70. If you follow God's way, you'll be prosperous in all you do wherever you go. Now, be careful. Remember, Chronicles and Kings has to be contextualized, especially by the time of the post-exilic period. The Israelites are, going, are asking this question, where are you, God? Our life is such a mess. And individuals among them are quite godly, but the people of God are not godly, and so God's brought discipline. But in our lives, God loves us, wants to bless us. We're free, make dumb choices. How many of you know this? You make dumb, raise your hand if you know you make dumb choices, okay? Dumb, like you know what you ought to do. It's Romans 7. I do what I shouldn't do. I don't do what I ought to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Romans 8.1, right? So, So I'm just saying, God wants to bless, I'm stubborn, and then I'm in a world of stubborn people, and then Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything from me. Here's the the issue. Pastor Mike, I'm walking in the generosity journey. I'm tithing now. I'm giving to kingdom builders, and I got laid off. What's up with that? Get it? Put it in another question. Pastor Mike, I've been super godly. My wife totally dumped me. What's up with that? Where's God? Well, I would just say, I would just say, A, you're super godly, kinda. I mean, wait, when when did you recommit your life to the Lord? Well, you know, she brought me to church three years ago. Ever since then, I've been really walking with God. Okay, how long have you been married? Well, 10. Okay, so for three years, you know, upward trajectory, seven years, pain. I'm just saying, contextualize the, don't back up from the promises, but contextualize them in your life, in your real life, like what's actually going on. And the baggage, there's baggage in our lives that we need to set aside. So what is the baggage in you? Like, like a lot of you and I, we all get caught in unforgiveness and bitterness, right? Like in marriage, in relationships, in church. There are times when I've uh, hurt you. 
I don't mean to hurt you. I'm just having a bad hair day, whatever. I, I say something stupid and whatever happens. So forgive me for that. I, I'm just saying, you know, church is messy. Why? We're here, okay? We're here. So, you know, church isn't an option, but you got to be careful of bitterness. In your marriage, if you, remember, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other to die. So you have to walk with a clean slate. What's the baggage? What keeps you out of serving? Why don't you serve in a ministry? What is it? What's in the way? What, what is keeping you from going to parenting conferences or marriage conferences or reading books on marriage or whatever, whatever it is? Figure it out and pursue what's important, Solomon. Solomon, you're give, getting the kingdom. That's awesome. But remember, there's more awesome things. There's way more awesome things. This is David's heart. He's trying to tell his son. And he's got his hands full. We'll see it in the series. Look, son, the Lord searches your heart. And he understands every desire. What's, what's heart mean? I wrote this down for you. It isn't anywhere. You might want to take a picture of it, but let's read it out loud. The heart is the fundamental fountain at the center of a person from which springs one's genuine, real feelings, one's most authentic thoughts, and one's actual values. That's what your heart is. And heart work is, sorry, I'll go back to it. A bunch of you are taking pictures, sorry. Um, Look, heart work is one of the most important things you can do in life. Well, how do I do it? Okay? So I, I made a slide. You, you should take a picture of this because it's not anywhere. This is not on your outlines, right? No? Um, okay. Accept it, yield it, your heart. Accept it, yield it, guard it, exercise it, feed it, rest it. Your heart, what do I mean by accept it? Your heart is complex, your heart is a mixture of brokenness and holiness, okay? It just is. God, listen, this is super important. God accepts you right now exactly the way you are. Not the way you should be or could be. He accepts you right now the way you are, period. End of the story. Now, he wants you to be like him toward yourself. Now, God doesn't want to just, he doesn't just leave you there, but he accepts you the way you are. But then he wants to build you into a man or woman of God. He wants to change you from the inside out. But it begins with him accepting you. You have to have the heart of God toward your own heart. You have, to, you have to just simply accept it, like who you really are. Otherwise, you're living lies. You're not accepting who you actually are. You're accepting who you think you should be, and you're guilt-tripping yourself and shaming yourself all the time. Then you must yield it, of course, to God. Guard it, what goes in and out, your eye gate, your ear gate, your mind. Feed it. Oh, I'm sorry, exercise it, that, that's love. If you look these verses up, uh, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a vertical and the horizontal. Then feed it, scripture, prayer, the spiritual disciplines, and rest it. You gotta rest it. You have to rest your heart. That's the rule of the Sabbath. You have to rest your heart and take care of your heart. Solomon, take care of your heart. It becomes his bane. You'll see it in the series. And then this, mediocrity. We have just enough holiness to quit fighting in our marriage. 
We have just enough holiness to quit, you know, uh, being so frustrated over our loneliness in life, over our, uh, you know, finances, over whatever. We have enough holiness to kind of have a little bit of peace. In fact, write this down. Just okay is not okay. Just okay is not okay. Mediocrity won't cut it. Solomon, Solomon, Ray, Katrin, if you seek him, he'll, he'll be found by you. And by the way, there's tons of verses that say God is actually seeking you, and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Now, I, I want to just go to these questions. Okay, what priorities do you need to rearrange so you can put God first? Uh, you know how the Chargers coach is named Coach Lynn? And Philip needs his coach. He's actually got several coaches. You need several coaches. You need people who are going to help you. Men, men, look at me. Listen, men, we're almost done, men. <laughs> men, you need other godly men who are going to tell you you're full of you know what. They'll, you need men in your life who are going to tell you you're believing your own shtick. You've become like a little co-leader. Isolation will make you this way. I promise you, I'll give you an axiom of life. As you isolate, the crazier you'll become. You'll redefine the world in that cray-cray. You need other godly men, and women, obviously, the same. And then where do you want to experience the success? Okay, uh, your list, your cards. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a spiritual exercise right now. So you're going to bring the cards up. You're going to put them in one box. You're going to get a little cross. It's a little wooden cross with a little chain around it, a little like, like old school keychain. And so you can do this with it. Uh, I put mine on my keys because I carry my keys with me. It's a little bulky, but you only have to do it for like eight weeks. Um, but <laughs> so like the point here is you're going to give to the cross. You're going to bring to the cross areas of your life where you want to be successful. God wants to bring you success. Listen to me. It's his dream for you to live his dream. It's his way. He's like a dad, but he's the perfect dad. So, so you put your dreams at the cross and carry the cross. That's what this series is all about. It's about wisdom. And then, you know, every time you put your hand in your pocket, you're going you're gonna to think of the cross, obviously, because you're going to run right into it in your pocket. And then, and then you're going to be reminded spiritually, like every day, that your dreams need to be God's dreams. And God wants to bless us. So I'm going to pray a blessing over us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will bless us, God, beyond our wildest dreams as we get our priorities straight, as we walk and choose to walk in obedience. You know we won't do it perfectly, but we will get up. We will dust ourselves off. We will be more like David in our lives, God, that at the end of life, we can be known as a man or a woman after God's own heart. Bless us to that end, to your glory. Your kingdom come, not ours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth, this earth, our earth. The one we walk in, the one we are bound to change. So bless us to that end. Bless us to that end, God, that we may be world changers. That is your will. We claim that as a promise from heaven. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Everyone give God a hand. What is he going to do?